So, it seems like ages ago, we started in the book of James. Uh, James was the brother of Jesus, if you didn't know. James had brothers. We know this. And so James wrote a book. But we've got to remember, I said at the beginning, James when, James, when Jesus was alive, guess what? He didn't believe his brother was, Jesus, was the Messiah. He lived with him. And, he, he, and his whole family thought he was crazy at one point. Even though he was doing miracles, even though he was doing all the things he was doing, they were trying to basically lock him up in a house. But then, he was convinced after his brother died, and then came back to life, that his brother was the Messiah and became a Christian. And then he decides to write a book to tell Christians... He really wrote it to Jewish Christians because what had happened is the word had went out from Jerusalem and James lived in Jerusalem. He was the head of the, 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 the Jerusalem church. So he was sending letters out to all these other people, all these other parishes of the church around the country because the Jewish people had been dispersed. If you read the Old Testament, they've been dispersed around the world. They've been conquered so many times, they were living all over the place. Well, when they started taking the gospel out, they heard the gospel, but they didn't know how to live as Christians. So James goes, I'm going to write a book. And the funny thing is, James starts the book, really, or letter, it would have been at the time, at a tough place. Because he starts by talking about testing of faith and suffering, really. And uh, last week we talked about testing the faith. And we're going to continue on that subject today. So, let's dig in. We're going to start James 1, verse 12. I actually thought we were going to get through all of James uh, 1 today. But we're not. We're going to finish it next week. Actually, we're not going to finish it next week. We're actually going to leave two verses till the following week. So, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. See, that's actually a powerful verse. Because James obviously hung out with his brother when he was on mission. Even though he didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah. Because actually, if you read the book of James and then take it over and look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of similarities. So, theologians, people way smarter than me, that have studied just one book of their Bible for their whole life, come to the conclusion that James had to have heard the Sermon on the Mount because of the way he wrote this book. 
And he starts by saying, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life. Okay? This crown of life, by the way, is actually promised to everybody that believes in Jesus. He's, pro- he's being rhetorical here because he wants you to, to actually bl- act like Christians. And we know this by the next verse where he says, which God has promised to those who love him. So if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that means you love him. So he's not saying you have to stay steadfast under trial to receive this. As much as it sounds like he's saying that, he's, he's saying, this is how you act. So I'm going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount for a minute. And just the Beatitudes, okay? Because it's funny because people, some people go, the Beatitudes, they're just a bunch of attitudes some people are blessed with some of them. Some people are blessed with others of, of others. That's how most people look at the Beatitudes, by the way. But do you know what the Beatitudes are? A description of a Christian. You should have every single one of them characteristics if you're a Christian. And this is what it says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, will be, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he follows that by saying, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean that last line, blessed are you that others revile. See, that's what I'm, we live in a world right now that is really anti-Christian. Part of that is Christianity itself has messed that up. American Christianity is the worst. Because we have the name it and claim it Christianity that if I ask God for something, he's going to give it to me. Like he's this cosmic vending machine. That if I just get the right combination of prayer requests up there, I will get myself a nice sports car and a big house and a beautiful wife. But that's not how God works, you see. But that is what has polluted Christianity. The fact that that I worship a God, that all of his disciples, 
that followed him were murdered. Only John died from non-being murdered, just died of old age. But it wasn't from lack of trying. Outside of the Bible, there's facts, history books, that say that John, because these are all real people, whether you believe them or not, they're all real people that are outside. There's, there's writings about Jesus in other books. That John was put in a boiling hot vat of oil. And by the way, that was before he writ his books. And if you want to read some good books, read John's writings because it's all about love. And he refers to himself after God allowing him to be boiled in a vat of oil as the one who Jesus loved. That's amazing. You see, we got people, they go, well, I can't believe in in God because a bunch of people could start stuff and and they could say, hey, I'm just going to make up that he he rose from the dead and I'm going to do this. Well, there's lots of people that died for this belief from the get-go. From the get-go. And what... What James is trying to illustrate in this passage, in passage 1, is that we need to faithfully follow God. And for those who need to know how many points I've got, I've got three points. We need to faithfully follow God. That's all that James is saying. James is saying this. And we'll get more into it in chapter 2. If you're a Christian, if you profess that Jesus is your Savior, you can't just call him your Savior. You have to call him your Lord. Because he is Lord and Savior. I love me some Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan wrote a Christian album. And he, he, on that album, he writes a song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. He said, you're either going to serve the devil or the Lord, but make your choice. People are like, well, I don't serve the devil. No, but I can tell you, if I hang out enough with you and you say you're not a Christian, I will tell you what your God is. Because I can tell you what my God was before I became a Christian. And she's sitting in this church right now. You can make anything a God. Anything. In this world. You see, we are finite creatures. And we have a tendency to worship creation and not the creator. So we look at something and we make that our object of adoration. 
We don't look at the item and go, I'm so happy. That is amazing. God made that. When I see stuff, when I see mountains, when I see the canyons, my old look was, hey, that's amazing. But now I go, my God made that. That's amazing. And thank God for that. And you can do that with anything in the world that has been created by him. You can look at it like that. And, and James wants us to start looking at life like that. He wants us to be faithful followers of God. He wants us to throw away all our other idols. And he wants to be Lord over our life. He wants us to faithfully follow him. He goes on to say this. Seeing the crowds, he went up. Oh, that's, uh, that's Matthew. I read that already. This is what happens when you have lack of sleep and are mourning your dad. That was the next point, but I'm going to read the scripture now because it's not in the right order. Do not be deceived. Is it not? I'm going to read up. Old school. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, we don't need to feed the fire. If you want something, a fire to go out, you have to stop putting wood on it. If you keep putting wood on a fire, it's just going to get bigger. And that's how sin works in our life. You can pick your poison. Pick your poison, whatever it is. Mine's ice cream or sweets, okay? Every, every addiction is the same. And addictions are basically, they are, the, they are sins in our life. I, some people can eat ice cream and they eat a little bitty bowl. And they're like, okay with that. They can have four or five bites of ice cream or Mary's blueberry cake. They can have one bite and go, wow, that was really good, but I don't need another bite. I'm not that person. I chase the high from ice cream or Mary's blueberry lemon pie. I'm saying that enough that on my birthday, do you know what I want for my birthday cake now? <laughs> It was good. When you have one taste of something, it tastes good. And then you want another bite. I'm telling you, the second bite never tastes like the first bite. And that's like any addiction. First time you ever drunk and got that feeling that you got. The first time you shot up heroin or did cocaine or did anything. Everybody is always chasing the first. 
the first. And then by chasing it, we feed it. We feed it, and then we want more and more and more and more and more. Because we don't need God to entice us anyway. We do it all by ourselves. We feed our fire of sin in our lives. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. Until you make a a conscious choice to turn away from it yourself and turn to Jesus, you will feed the fire. And I will tell you, it doesn't matter what that is. It will just grow. Because we don't need anything. We don't need the devil the devil, we, you hear this all the time, the devil made me do it. Or, better than that, better than the devil made me do it, we blame it on God. And this isn't a new thing, by the way. This, is, this has happened since creation. Genesis 3.12 says, The woman you gave me Gave me the fruit. That's the problem. The man couldn't even stand up at the beginning. He had to blame it on his wife. He couldn't say, well, you created me to protect her and I just let this serpent talk to her. He goes, well, it's your fault, God, if you hadn't created this Creature, by the way, this creature now that he's saying, God, if you hadn't created her, I wouldn't have ate the apple, is one man. That's like, wow, man. That's how he come up with that name, you know. He went, wow, man. She looked parts that I don't have and she looked good. That's what he said. And then he sung a song. The first words he spoke was a song. When God created, when he woke up from the sleep that God put him in, he sang a song of how great this woman was. A few verses later, that damn woman you gave me made me do it. Because we blame. We, say, we can't take up the responsibility. See, here's the problem is, and I said this a few weeks ago. We don't need the devil or demons, the sin nature lives inside of us. I didn't have to teach any one of my children to bite. They did it all by themselves. And by the way, every one of them has bit me. Every one of them, even the big one right there, sitting there now. He was a little bit smaller when he bit me, but... I didn't have to teach him to sin. I didn't have to teach my daughter Chelsea or my son Nick to sin. They just did it naturally. They were born that way. I didn't have to teach them how to do wrong. They just naturally knew how to do that. You don't go, I don't care who's your, who, 
if you've got kids or grandkids or you've had children in your life, you, you kids learn to hit other kids without being shown because they do it before they can watch TV. They swing at you. They don't need to... We don't have to teach people to sin. We're good at it. And, and the more generations from the, from the original sin, we're just perfected as people. Because we like to feed the fire. We like to feed it and just psh, let it burn. Let it burn. See, we don't, we don't want to act the way James wants us to act. See, the problem with Christianity is, and I'm a Christian, obviously, is that we only talk most of the time about one aspect of God. God's love, which is covered by his grace. But God, you know how many attributes God has? God obviously has wrath. Because he wouldn't have punished his son so we could be saved. I mean, he's got, there's many different aspects to God. Not just love and grace. That's the most important one, is the grace. Our God is a graceful God. Because that's how we're saved. But here's the thing, and, and, and James really hits this in chapter 2, is that, that we have to be changed too. You just don't accept grace. And that's the problem. Being a Christian, by the way, is going to cost you something. If it ain't costing you something, I doubt you're a Christian. If it ain't costing you something, because how many people like Jesus? Not many. By the time he went to the cross, everybody had deserted him. Everybody. Who liked his disciples that after they kept... Everybody didn't like Christians. You know what they used to do to Christians? When the movement started... This is, hey, I know what we can do with them. We can use them for torches. But we won't kill them first. We'll just... Shove a rod up you know where, stick them on a post, put some stuff on them that burns and light them and let them scream and burn because they say they believe in a God that we don't believe in. Do you know what's funny about that? That happened in Rome. You know, they, they, they had gladiator ring where they were fed to lions. I should have, this is what I should have put Janet. I should have said, Janet, count the crosses in Rome now. Count how many crosses are in Rome now. And where they used to persecute Christians, probably more than anywhere else in the world, there's more crosses in that area than probably anywhere else in the world. Because them Christians, they were feeding the fire with their body, but they were doing it 
knowing they were still loved by God and just like lots of martyrs before them and after them, they said, just like Paul said, you can kill me and all the glory is going to be God because I'm going to go to heaven right now or you can leave me here and I'll stay in prison and I will preach the gospel in prison. Whatever you want to do, God, do it. Whatever you want to allow in my life, let it happen. And I'm going to live for you. That's what James wants. James wants us to live for God. He goes on to say this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, creator, crea- creatures. Our lives should reflect what we believe. Our lives should reflect what we believe. If you are living out there and people don't see Jesus when they look at you and they don't see that you're different than you once were and you're living the same life that you've always lived, you have to question whether you're really following Christ or not. We are supposed to reflect the sun. We are like the moon to our sun. The moon has no light, but it lights the night sky, doesn't it? I mean, you see a big fool, you can see it shining bright in the sky. It does, it's pitch black. All the moon is doing is reflecting the sun. We're supposed to be like the moon and reflect the sun the Son of God. When people see you, they should see a changed person. They should see that you're not the same as you used to be. You're different. And then they go, what makes them so different? And you can tell them, that's Jesus. Jesus makes me different. Because of anything I've done, but because of everything he's done. We need to live a life that reflects him. And that means it's going to cost you something. It might cost you some friends. It might cost you a career choice. It could cost you many things. You, you are probably going to be disliked, just like Jesus was. You could even be spit at just like Jesus was. But if you really believe what is written in this book, if you really believe what's written in this book, and I do, I believe every single word of this book, 
you need to live it. And that's what James is saying. This is what the whole book of James is about. He's saying, don't just be a Christian by name. Be a Christian with your actions. You love people. You don't love the people you already love. You love them, but you love people that you wouldn't love. You hang out with them people that you wouldn't hang out with. Because if you're only hanging out with the people you like to hang out with, that's not being a Christian. You see, Jesus, he hung out with anybody. Even the people he didn't agree with. Even the people chose him. Most of his issues was he hung out with people that the Pharisees hated. Because one thing Jesus wasn't is religious. Jesus wasn't religious. Jesus was God. He wasn't religious. Because he didn't follow the rules. He didn't follow all the pharisaical rules that they did. That's religion. See, the difference between what we believe and everybody else is every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world says, do. What can I do to appease that God? Whatever that God is. But Christianity has got a stamp on it. It was stamped the day Christ died on the cross when he said the words, It is finished. There's nothing you can add to it. So I'm saying you need to act differently. That's not going to get you a bigger crown. But this is what I'll tell you. If Jesus is real, and I believe he is, and you've accepted him in your life, he changes you from the inside out. So you should see a change and you should want to be different. I've always said that I feel like I was this kid in an adoption agency who nobody wanted. And then one day, this man come in, and this man's name was God. And he said, why is nobody taking that kid? Well, he, you don't want him. He, he's trouble. And he goes, no, that's the exact one I want. I want to take him home and I want to love him. And he took me home and he loved me and I kept messing up. And I kept messing up. But you know what's different? He kept loving me. And he kept loving me. And he kept loving me. Didn't matter what I did. He still loved me. And then I'm looking at him going, If he loves me that much, I want to please him. How can I please him? By obeying him.
And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So read James 1, 19 through 25 to get ready for next week's sermon. Hearing the word to obey. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are an awesome God. That you do care for us. That you do not leave us where we were. That you even sent your son so we could have a relationship with you. I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you love us, that you are full of grace. But you also want us to follow you and you want us to change. And I just pray that we can do that, God. That we can all put our trust in you. And that we can follow you. Because that's what you said. Come, follow me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.